Father, thank you for Mike, Lord. Thank you. We just bless him, Lord, in hearing your voice today. Father, thank you that you've given him a spirit of um, breakout, a spirit of, of encouragement for us today. Father, we, we ask that your word would be clear and strong. And Mike, we bless you. We say to you, relax in God, relax in the Holy Spirit just to wash over you and receive everything you're going to give us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have that. <laughs> Hey up, all right. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if we can get the, uh, the. That's it. Wow, fantastic. This is the title of my little talk today: Victory in 2018. All right, Victory in 2018. But before I go into this, I want to fascinate you with a few stories from my life. Um, I used to live in Swansea. City centre, I was there for seven years, and I lived with three mates, and we had such a laugh living in this place. And there was always some guy sleeping on the sofa as well, I never paid any rent, this guy. But the thing is, the road parallel to our place had 11 curry houses on it. 11. I used to count them as I used to drive up the road. And there was one that I went to so often, one year they sent me a Christmas card. And it was the only Christmas card I got. In fact, it was the only Christmas card any of us got that year. But I didn't care. So I said, dear Mike, thank you for your custom. Looking forward to seeing you next year. Best wishes, the Anglo-Asian Indian restaurant. And we were so chuffed. We put that card, I shared it with the others. I put that card on the mantelpiece. Fascinating stories from my life. And you know, there was a couple who I knew in, the ch in a church there. They were a Christian couple. They were a great couple. They loved God. And he was very quiet and reserved, very talented chap. And the wife was the opposite. She was like a thunderbolt. She was so powerful. And she phoned me up one day, give an example. She said, Mike, I want to give, give you a game of squash. I said, all right, so I'll pick you up, she said. I gave her a game of squash. And at the end of it, she said, I'm going to take you back to my house and I'll give you a cup of tea. I'm going to release the babysitter. I said, all right, went back for a cup of tea. This isn't what you're thinking. <laughs> and then she introduced me to her kids. I was a little one-year-old girl. I was a little three-year-old. And I was chatting to them. And the wife came in. She said, you doing all right with the kids? I said, I said, doing all right, doing all right. And she went back. She came in 10 minutes later with a coat on. And she said, are you doing okay with the kids? I said, yeah. She said, well, that's great. Well, I'm going out now. <laughs> and, uh, and I saw her walk down the corridor. And she opened the front door, and I said, how am I going to be? She said, two hours. And she got on the car and drove off. And I was there, 23 years old. I'm obviously a rock star. What am I doing <laughs> looking after these two kids? Right? I didn't have a clue. It's not like she said to me, oh, and this is what you do. These are the rusks or whatever you give them. These are the baked beans. Feed them. She didn't say a thing. She just went. And I started making mistakes straight away because I said to the little girl, I said, where's my mammy? And she said, oh, she's gone off in the car. <laughs> well, I might as well said she was dead because she screamed and cried. How long she, when she came back? I said, two hours. I might as well said six years. They're crying and screaming. But I tell you guys, I did all right. And in fact, it laid the foundation for me becoming an incredible dad. <laughs> that experience... 
It's a true story. And I did all right. I did okay. Anyway, a few years went by. And I'd moved from Swansea to Shaftesbury. And the, the dad, the, the husband phoned me up and he said, I'm in the area, can I come and see you? See? This years went by. And he came to see me and we went out for a, went out for a curry. And uh, he explained to me two things. He said that we've, we've divorced, me and my wife, which made me really sad to hear that. And then he said something profound. Well, as profound, he said, and I no longer follow Jesus. I'm not a believer anymore. I've lost my faith. Which really struck me and really hurt me. I said, why have you lost your faith? And he said, two reasons. One, my divorce. She wanted the divorce and it screwed me up. And I thought God would rescue us and he didn't. And the second thing was even more profound to me. He said, and I realized that being a Christian didn't make me a better person. I never changed. He said, I was the horrible person at the start. I was the horrible person at the end. And he said, there's no power in this. And I lost my faith largely because of that. And do you know what? That shook me to the core, honestly. And it was like a little bat squeak noise in the background, which stayed with me all these years. And this was a long time ago. And that bat squeak became over time like a pterodactyl roar, horrible sound. Because I knew there was truth in what he said, if I'm going to be honest. And I felt over the years the devil or the enemy say to me, do you know what, your friend, at least he had the guts to be honest about things. Yeah? What is you? You're pretending. And this has stayed with me. It's a great start to a talk called Victory in 2018, isn't it? But I want to get us down to base zero. Okay? Because this is true for many people as Christians. It's a fact. I've struggled over years with issues in my life. And many of us struggles with issues in our lives. And we wonder, where's the victory? Where's the power in transforming us from this person we were when we got saved to the person we are now? Where's the power? Am I really transformed? Am I really living this I'm a more than a conqueror lifestyle? In fact, that verse, we are more than conquerors, it's like a little monkey on a fence laughing at us. You know, and I struggled with that. There are people struggling with lust, with pornography, with addictions to things, with anger, with rage, with disappointments. I could go on listing things, struggling with things. Where's the victory in this? But you see, my friend had it wrong. He didn't understand how God can transform your life. And why am I qualified to talk to you today? Well, I'm not really, I'm just like you. But I've got one thing to say, is that I've struggled with things in my life. And I'll show you the process in a moment. And I can honestly, hand on heart, tell you that 2017 was the year those issues started to be broken. Look at the process. See if you recognize this. Hang on. This is about sin, temptation, and being overcome and not living the victorious life, okay? This is how it works. This is us, right? Circle there. And you know we get thoughts, don't we? 
And thoughts are like electrical impulses, and they float, and they just come. We'll call them a little balloon with a, with a piece of string on the end, and they just float up. See that? And that thought occurs right here. And you've got a choice right then to engage with that thought or just let it float on by. And do you know what? The battle starts here. Thought, I've got terrible writing. You can decide to engage with that thought. You can develop it. You can turn that thought into something which is enjoyable, delicious, and sinful. And that thought develops into a sin, whatever that sin might be. And then you sin. From that thought, I'll come around this way, just for a fancier change. Sin. And then sin takes place, and you are full of regret. So we've got regret. You've got uh, defeat. You have a sense of loss. All right, And then, eventually, you wallow in this for a while. You've got to enjoy this stuff. You've got to make it work. You wallow in regret, defeat, a sense of loss, shame. And then eventually, you ask for forgiveness from God. All right? As you're asking for forgiveness, and God gives you forgiveness. Because God does not condemn you. This is a part of the process. God never is the one condemning you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. It's not me making it up. God doesn't condemn you, and God forgives you. Then what do you do? You resolve to never do that again. You make a vow, possibly. You gird up your loins and your strength, and you say, I will never do this again. And weeks go by, and you're doing all right. And then suddenly, the thoughts start floating up the stream again. And you grab onto the tail, the string, and you are totally screwed again. And you start the process And this process repeats shame, forgiveness, resolution, sin, thoughts. The whole thing just repeats. The cycle is never ending. And we can be caught in this cycle. Do you get me? Is it just me? I've been caught in this cycle for decades with certain things in my life. To the point where I thought my friend's comment was true. And it's always been there, a little bat squeak, always there in the back of my mind, telling me, this is the process you're stuck in with. Where's the power in being a Christian? There isn't any power in being a Christian. It's just dead. This is ground zero. I'm going to take you from ground zero into the truth, because this is a bluff. And this year, not last year, I should say, I've started powerfully through God to defeat these giants in my life. All right? So that what qualifies me to be here, I think. All right, so, done the process. Hang on, let me get my little clicker. All right, let's see if it works. Uh, the wheels are coming off this wagon. <laughs> it's not working. Could you click? There we go. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Create in me a pure heart. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever prayed that prayer in desperation? Create in me a pure heart. Who prayed this prayer? David. When did he pray this prayer? After he'd fallen with Bathsheba. After he had arranged for her husband to be murdered. 
All right? He prayed this prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Where's the resolution in this? Is it him going, you know, pulling himself together and saying, I'm going to grit my teeth and do this stuff? This is David saying, God, you create in me the pure heart. Because I've realized I can't do it myself. That's David. And then he adds an adjoiner. And give me a willing spirit, a steadfast spirit to sustain me. In other words, I can be pure for five minutes. What about the next five minutes? I want that spirit to keep me on this track, to break this cycle of despair. If you prayed that prayer and you are struggling with things in your life which you are not victorious over, you're in a good place because God hears your prayer. And last year, I wrote down my prayer, what I wanted God to resolve. I wrote it down and God started to resolve it powerfully in me. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Oh, hang on. Next one, maestro. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8, verse 37. So where we're going with this, folks, today is I'm going to show you how we become conquerors over these giants in our land. So, victory in 2018 is a good title, I would suggest. First thing. You need to know who you are in Jesus. All right? I'm going to give it a go just for... Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Know who you are in Jesus. This is step one. This is where you start. Know who you are in Christ. Now, some people might know this. I've got a couple of jobs. And one of them is I'm a barrister. You know that, don't you? And when you get called to the bar, you enter this very secretive world. I can't describe to you all the rules and stuff you've got to learn. And it's not written in a textbook. You've just got to learn them by breaking them, you see. <laughs> That's how you learn them. And when I joined the bar, I realized how strange it is. Now, if you've ever seen that program Silk. Barristers are running chambers, right? And my chambers is a huge chamber, 78 barristers or 83 of us, something like that, okay? Anyway, and it's run by the clerks and the clerks have an iron fist over all the barristers and they all talk like this. <laughs> the clerks talk like that. And in fact, you've got to talk like this to get the job. And you've got to have elocution lessons in reverse. <laughs> and I find it difficult. And, and you come in the morning and they, they call you Mr. Mason. <laughs> come in the morning, Mr. Mason is, Mr. Mason, eh, and all that, you know, leaving it all that. And I didn't like it. I thought, this is just elitism. Here I am, an ordinary bloke from South Wales. I went to a comprehensive school. The only connection with the law my school had was the police were always there. That's it. So that I was in the chambers in the morning, the clerk comes in, hello, Mr. Mason. I said, you know what? I said, I said, listen, my name's Mike. You don't have to call me Mr. Mason. And he just stared at me. And he walked out. And I said to a senior barrister later that day, I said, you know what? I've, um, I just told the clerk to call me Mike. 
He said to call you what? <laughs> call you Mike? Are you insane? I said, well, no, it's my name. He said, you want to, don't want to get the class calling you Mike. Because they'll be calling you Mike, then they'll be calling you mate. And then they won't be giving you any work. Because they don't respect you. You have been called to this noble profession where people call you Mr. Mason. Anyway, Clark comes in next day. He stopped calling me Mr. Mason. He started calling me Mr. Mason, sir. Right? Mr. Mason, sir. I thought he's having a laugh. <laughs> but you know what? This, the truth is this. When you go to court as a barrister, you go into the robing room and you put your gear on. You put your robe on. Right? That robe's not a robe, it's a cape. You see, you become a super lawyer. <laughs> and you walk out of that robing room in this gear, and people just treat you different. The police call you sir, for starters. Or the court calls you sir, or they call you Mr. Mason. And barristers have a great sense of who they are. It's amazing to see it. When they go in that robing room, they are the gods of the law. Really. And it's always interesting to me when I watch barristers in court. I'm watching this young lady getting castigated by a judge. Absolutely flawed. She got the law wrong. She got the procedure wrong. She, he was just giving her a walloping. And when he finished, she just looked up and said, I'm grateful. Thank you, Your Honor. And she carried on as if nothing had happened. Just confident. I haven't got it yet. I'm getting there slowly. But these people are imbued with a sense of who they are. And this is our starting point. Yeah. Right? Who we are in Jesus. Yeah. Here's some... Hang on. Ooh. Here's some verses. Hang on. I'm going backwards. There we go. Look. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Hang on. Oh, going back again. Do you know, I'm fed up with that, forget it. I'm just going to do this. Second of Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Another verse. Galatians 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gave life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, is this. Do not be fooled into thinking, this is the real you. It is not. It's not you anymore. And Satan, the enemy, dark forces want you to believe this is you. You've been born with anger in your heart. Your dad was angry. You're a lustful person. You're addicted to pornography. You cannot change it because this is you. Folks, that's a bluff. That's a lie. It's a bluff. It's a lie. And when you start believing this in faith, and you've prayed that prayer, prayer, creating me a pure heart, you are on that train to victory. It starts right there. Okay? Starts right there. But there's a dilemma. If that's the case, then why do I still sin? Now, Paul struggled 
with this dilemma. Paul the Apostle, Romans 7, verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. You ever been there? (laughs) Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So what's Paul saying? This isn't me, the core of me, the essence of me has changed. I am a new creation. There's something else at work in me This little bit of Egypt which resides in me, that's what's doing this. I am a conqueror in Jesus. That is what we need to understand if we're going to live this victorious life. Who we are in Christ. The sins we commit, the problems we have, the issues in our head is not us. It's the sin that still resides in us that's doing it. All right? Now, Phil talked about Numbers 13 last week. I'm going to mention Numbers 13. Numbers 13. This is where God brings the Israelites to the step of the, or the doorstep of the promised land. And God says to Moses, right, I want you to send some people in here to check it all out. And Moses sends some spies in there. You know this. And the spies come back. And they say, yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey. It's got fruit. But you know what? It's got giants. It's got fortresses which are well manned. We cannot go into this promised land. Why did God bring us here to kill us? Why don't we just go back to Egypt? Caleb and Joshua say, yeah, it's all right. We sussed it out. We can go in and take this. So what's the point of that story? To my little talk. The point is this. God allows these giants to live in your land. He allows them to be there. And he wants you to take them and destroy them. That's the connection with Numbers 13. God hasn't put them on a train and sent them to South End. Right? God has allowed them to be there in your land. God could have bombed that land and got rid of all those people. Couldn't he? Couldn't he have done that just like that? But he wanted the Israelites to take the giants in their land themselves. That's why your giants are still there, present in your life. Because God wants you to conquer them. So if you're at the place where you're thinking, my goodness, there are things in my life I cannot control, I cannot conquer. I pray that prayer, creating me a pure heart. If you're there, you're in a good place. Because victory has been won for you already. But God is going to teach you how to conquer those giants in your land. So don't be fooled and don't be discouraged by these things. God's allowed them to be there. All right? And this is why you're going to get victory in 2018 if you start believing this. Victory 2018. You will conquer these giants in your land. You know what? I believe this as well. God can dissolve these giants in a flash. And it does happen. Issues you've struggled with, God can resolve in an instance. It's happened to me, and I'll tell you a bit later on what's happened to me on something else. Apostle Paul, he was full of hatred for Christians, wasn't he? He was politically motivated, religiously motivated. God knocked him off his horse. 
What happened to his political and religious motivations? They went in a flash. Do you think he was going for counselling? Saying, I just want to bash up a few Christians now and again. I just can't get rid of the feeling. Do you think that's what's happened to Paul? I still feel a residue of anger towards Christians. God resolved it in an instance with Paul. Yeah? Jack Frost, the great Christian writer, if you read one of his books, he talked about the um, Father Heart of God. Jack Frost said he was addicted to pornography. I mean, addicted. It just took his whole life. And when he got saved, that addiction was dissolved in an instant. Gone. Wendy Fry. Do you know Wendy Fry? Lovely Wendy Fry, our great friend, me and Joe. And she's given me permission to tell you this. She got saved, and she was a a 60-a-day cigarette smoker. I mean, that's going some, isn't it? Wow. I'm impressed with that. 60 a day. (laughs) There's no time to breathe, is there? I mean, honestly, strap it to your mouth. 60 a day. And she decided the resolution. She went round here. She came to the resolution bit. And she's determined, I'm going to beat this. She even stood up in the church, not this church, another church said, I'm going to beat smoking. Right? Told, declared it. Gritted her teeth. Within a week, she was smoking again. And she felt such shame. Started going around this circle. Shame, humiliation, despair. And she went to church, stinking of smoke. She had a few fags on the back, bike shed or whatever it is. And she was there having a cigarette, and someone said, look, come into the church. We're going to be doing communion, she said. And she put the fag out, she went into the church. She thought, you know, if I, as soon as I put the bread in my mouth, God's going to strike me dead. Because of my resolution and my pronouncement and me having a fag at the back here. I'm going to be dead and I'm going to be on the floor here. And she went to the front and she felt God say to her, as she put the bread in her mouth, there's no condemnation for you whatsoever. You are perfectly accepted. And God knocked her flying, she said, (laughs) physically across the floor. And when she stood up, her addiction to cigarettes was gone. Nothing to do with resolution. It's the mighty power of God. So God can do it for you, us, me, we. God can instantaneously take that root from you if he so wants to. But oftentimes he doesn't. So the first step, as I said, is know who you are. And the real you is not the person who is sinning. It's the residue of Egypt still there, the habit which you can overcome. And that's a big step. Second step, start to obey God. Start to obey. When you know who you really are, you can obey. Because you know the cycle of compulsion is broken. And Paul says in Romans 6.13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument 
of righteousness. See, God allows these giants to be in your land to create in you character. Tough as it seems. Oh my gosh. God creates character through these things, through the battles you encounter. And oftentimes in these struggles, you'll have two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, two steps back. You will have disappointments. You will have discouragement along the way. But know who you are. Know that this is defeatable. It's not really you. And start to obey God. Let me show you something. What's this? Drug um, research has proven this. Hang on. Drug research, I mean, those addicted to drugs. With addictions, they've realized something happens, and it's this. So the temptation comes to smoke or drink or whatever it is, yeah? It starts here. And the temptation, the power of it rises and rises and rises. And if you stick it out, what you will discover is that urge starts to fall. Drug counselors know this. So they say to drug addicts, just sit it out. Let the temptation, the urge, the real strong, powerful feeling run its course. And so it'll go. And it'll peak right here. That's where people start to sin. They think, I can't bear this any longer. I've got to sin. I've got to do it. I've got to get, sort this out. But if they stand, and the Bible talks about standing. If you stand at that point, you'll discover that urge starts to deflate and fall, all right? The enemy wants to bluff you right here at the peak. The enemy says, do you know what? You cannot stand this anymore. You must sin and give in to this feeling. It's a lie because the real you is not this. This is a remnant of the old you and you will defeat this. And this is what I'm discovered and I'm discovering on my journey. Here's the essence again. Next one, please. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look at that bell-shaped curve there. He will flee from you. And that's the truth. Job, next one please, Job, if you read Job, Job 31 verse 1 had a really good technique and he said this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. He understood that process. Job understood this process, that when you get that thought or you see something, you engage with it, you're on the slippery slope. And then you will sin. So he put a stop to it right there. I made a covenant. Not a covenant with God. God doesn't want to make covenants with him. He's died for you. He's given his life for you. You make a covenant with yourself. So it's this sort of thing. If you have a problem when you go to a certain place, don't go there. Just don't go there. Make the decision. And this is the power of grace. God gives you the opportunity to make decisions. That's freedom. Am I right? It's freedom. This is where the battle is won. 
This is where the battle is fought and won. I made a covenant with my eyes not to lust after a young woman. Look at, look at the young woman. That's what he said. But you can make covenants with yourself on other areas as well. Make a decision. Next one, please. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Where are we on the cycle with this? We're here. Just because thoughts come, and they will bob up, it's the, it's the habit of the brain to send these balloons up. Just don't grab the tail. Capture it. Keep it there. Gordon Lightfoot. Remember Gordon Lightfoot? A great song. And it was, um, how was it go? He goes, if you could read my mind, love, what a tale my thoughts could tell. Just like an old style movie or a ghost in a wishing well. In a castle dark or a fortress strong with chains around my feet. I know that ghost is me. That's just me doing Elvis. I, 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 I'm a rock star. You know it. I know it. You know it. But that, that song, sorry. That song says it all. If you could read my mind, what a tale my thoughts could tell. And if I was to sit down and show my thoughts on this screen now, you'd think, blimmin' heck, he's bonkers. Oh, there's something really wrong with that bloke. Or if I could do yours, I bet we'd say the same for you. And he says, those thoughts are chains around my feet. That's what he's saying in that song. It's a ghost, and he says that he's the ghost in the wishing well. Those thoughts are chains right around his feet. And that's where the battle starts, folks. Chains around your feet. You are not what you think. You are bigger, you are greater than that. Let the thoughts come. Let them float away. Do not encourage them with activities like going to a certain place by, cert by putting a certain program on on the TV, by going to meet these certain people. Your choice. Make a covenant with yourself. And you'll discover these things will start to be defeated in your life. And I mean it because I've seen it in me. This circle I've been on with certain things, I mean decades, I've started to understand this and I'm defeating these things. And it's not just sin, it's lots of stuff. We're talking about resentments, forgiveness. You sometimes think you've forgiven somebody and three months later, all the stuff comes rushing back. I thought I'd forgiven that person. You know, this stuff applies. Victory over these areas as well. You feel you haven't got your love for your spouse like you used to. Darkness invades your heart. God wants to give you hope in all these areas. So, know who you are. Start obeying God. Take every thought captive. Know that God does not condemn you. It's not God telling you off here. It's yourself. It's the enemy whispering in your ear. Another thing. Ne next one, please, folks. Deuteronomy. 
7.22. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. All the wild animals will multiply around you. God allows you to start taking territory step by step, inch by inch. Then that inch becomes a, a meter. Becomes whatever is after a meter. A mile. Is it? Are we still doing miles? Kilometer? Oh, whatever. I'm doing old money here. I'm Welsh, but... Um, I don't know what Alvin Sadler's got, but there we are. But there we go. <laughs> All right, inch by inch, you start taking territory. And God allows you to take territory inch by inch. Why? Why does God allow you to take territory inch by inch? Yeah, as you're reading that off the screen, well done, thank you. <laughs> you're very good, that's brilliant. <laughs> thank you, but you're right. <laughs> it's done to strengthen you, to build character in you to defeat as you go through life. And in defeating, you preach this to those, your children, to those around you, <clears throat> to make you full of character. The Bible says tribulations will come, and they're allowed to, because it gives you resolve. Right? And I can tell you this, the times I've grown in God have been through times of tribulation and darkness and difficulty. I, that's the honest truth. Perhaps I'm unique in that. But I've grown when these things have been difficult. I've grown stronger when these things have been upon me. Got anything else? Ephesians 6 verse 11. This is the final one. This is about putting the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, after you've done everything, to stand. That's it. And you know what? You can do it. The whole of the Bible's message is you can do it. Because God is giving you, or God has already obtained the victory for you. And the bluff the enemy wants you to swallow wholesale is that you can't. You're stuck. This is the real you. You're not. It's a great word, this, isn't it? Yes. Brilliant. Let me tell you something. What, something I've, I've struggled with over years. And it's, uh, I won't tell you the detail. Um, but there was a real disappointment that happened to me many, many, many years ago. And, and, uh, it wasn't something illegal or anything dastardly, but something I was really disappointed with, something which really hurt my heart. And it was a long time ago. And every single day of my life, I've thought about it. Every day. And I've struggled with it. Every single day. And I never told anybody. I mean, never told anybody about it. And I thought that I would go to my grave having this issue still there. And I lost hope. Because I thought, this is the real me. I cannot get, it's not a sin, it was a disappointment. Some regret, something I could not change to go back in time and make it different. It was there, it was set in concrete, I could not resolve it. And I didn't even feel that God had the ability to do it. It was so entrenched in my heart. And I thought about that issue and I 
those chains around my feet every single day on that issue. That's the truth. And then, just one day, God just removed it. I just can't describe it. It is so miraculous. Boom! Gone. And when I think about that issue now, I think about it with joy. Isn't that bizarre? Instead of thinking about it with a heavy heart and defeat and a feeling that I will go to my grave with this cloud over me, I look at it now and I laugh and I think, that was brilliant. That was great. God has performed a miracle. A miracle in me. All right? So take hope. hope. Take heart. There is nothing... God cannot rectify, repair, restore, and recompense for you. And I believe it. I'm not saying I've got everything tickety-boo and blah, 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 and everything's perfect. But I know I'm on the journey. I know who I am. I know I can defeat these things because God is with me. And he's with you as well. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. Be hopeful. It will happen. Victory. 2018. Brilliant, Mike. Thank you.